Heyo! And welcome to the College Student Success Podcast. Podcast where college students and faculty come together to talk about mental health, wellness, mentorship, and entrepreneurship. Together, we set and achieve goals for ourselves to get us where we want to be. I am your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 113 of the podcast. And I have a really excellent one for you today, everyone. Welcome back. It's been a minute. Uh, really happy to be back here for uh, what is starting, if you could believe this, the College Student Success Podcast's sixth year? Oi. <laughs> I'm just thinking back to uh, this time uh, five years ago. It was uh, August of 2015, specifically, when I uh, really got the gears turning and, and, and set the goal for myself to start doing this podcast on a regular basis come uh, September of 2015. And if there are any of you out there that have been with me from the beginning, uh, I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You know, you guys are the, the lifeblood of the podcast and the people that... I've, I've continued to do this for, and if you're a new listener that just listening for the first time today, I really appreciate you because you're the lifeblood of what is going to help me uh, grow the podcast. So I am so grateful to have all of you with me along this ride for the past five years. It, it's still like incredible for me to think about. And, uh, you know, I definitely, the, the podcast has taken a little bit of a backseat the last two years to other things that I have going on. But I'm looking back, I'm glad that I decided to kind of keep it going for uh, moments like this when I probably surprise you with something in, in my feed and you're like, oh, wow, look at that. He finally pulled his shit together and has uh, given us a podcast. So here I am. Uh, this one is, as I mentioned, really great. It's an interview with uh, Chase DeMarco of freemeded.org and the Medical Nemesis podcast. And we talk study skills, we talk how to learn. Uh, this is a meta episode, I would call it. Uh, how to uh, learning about how to learn, you know. Uh, so I hope you guys get a lot out of it. I really appreciated it, and I make this reference, I think, at some point during the interview. I feel like this episode really brings me back to my roots. Uh, when I started this podcast, I was just finishing up a uh, research study that had taught me a lot about cognition and how people learn and the best methods for studying, which I ended up teaching to people in recovery from mental health conditions. And this, I feel like I've gotten away from that in later years for topics more geared towards my interests that have come along since uh, mentorship, entrepreneurship, whatnot. So this one is great, I think, because of the timing with it coinciding with the beginning of the semester and with the sort of movement we've had towards online learning. Uh, it has really accelerated in the last uh, year um, and it's here to stay. Uh, Zoom is here to stay. Um, sorry for all of you that are out there on college campuses that got bait and switched into uh getting uh, apartments or spaces on campus only to be found, only to find out that you're going to be doing all of your learning online. That has to suck, and I really, my heart goes out to you. Uh, the one thing I just want to mention before we get into the interview is 
We talk about online learning. I've noticed this a lot with my current crop of students that are just coming in. I think there's this misnomer or misconception that all online learning happens over Zoom because of the ubiquity of Zoom these days. Everybody's using it or, or you know, at least has uh, some knowledge or maybe uh, even not, if not, has at least heard of it at this point. But actually, all, most of my online classes uh, predate this Zoom period and do not include Zoom at all. So I think most college courses especially pre-COVID, when you heard online learning, there's two types of online learning. There's synchronous and asynchronous. So when you are talking about a course where, you know, this, the instructor posts content every, say, Monday that says, you know, complete this discussion forum, watch this video, review this article, PowerPoint, uh, do this assignment, and here are all the due dates for those things. That's There's no meeting times. There's no time where everybody gets on Zoom. That's an asynchronous course. Uh, synchronous, meaning everybody syncs up. That's when everyone's meeting at Zoom on Wednesdays at 6 o'clock to do a presentation or a lecture. Synchronous courses involve Zoom or some sort of company or program like Zoom where everybody's getting together and syncing up at the same time. Asynchronous is you can do it whenever you you know find time or schedule yourself as long as it's by the due date. So Zoom is associated with synchronous classes. Most of my courses and I think most online courses out there uh, in college are asynchronous. So I've had a lot of students reach out and ask me, where's the Zoom link for your course? And I had to give them that quick little explanation. So I figure if they're having questions or struggling to, to understand the difference, it's probably uh, understandable. And uh, so I just wanted to pass that on. And the strategies we're going to talk about today, I think, will work in any type of situation, whether you are still learning in person, uh, whether you're learning on Zoom, or whether you're in an asynchronous environment uh, like um, like Ace Your Online Class, the course that I developed to help people. That's another meta uh, thing, right? Helping people learn how to learn online. Uh, that is an asynchronous course, and that's available on Udemy. If anyone is interested in a free copy of that course, please reach out to me. Uh, so, and that's like a course where, yeah, you complete on your own time. There's no deadlines in that course, but you would have deadlines in a college course. So just a few little things to clear up there. Um, there's a lot of recent articles to, uh, out there. Re, you know, Maybe I see them more as a teacher talking about you know, how, to, how to incorporate Zoom into your online learning experience. And uh, I'm sure a lot of um, K through 12 schools are using it as well. There's not much, I think, for the students out there. So that was sort of where this episode started. But then uh, then I met Chase and reviewed a little of his content and was like, whoa, this will go really well as a beginning of the semester type of interview. So without further ado, I welcome Chase. And Chase, welcome to the College Student Success Podcast. So I want to welcome you to the College Student Success Podcast. I have with me today Chase DeMarco from freemeded.org and the Medical Pneumonist Nemesis Podcast. Uh, Chase, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, a lot of people struggle with, say, medical mnemonist because they've never heard that term before, but it's just mnemonics and somebody that studies mnemonics and memory techniques. 
Awesome. Yes. So we'll probably get into a little bit more about uh, your mnemonics work and whatnot. Uh, why don't we start off, maybe just tell me a little bit about yourself, how you got into the space. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, study skills today and ways to kind of up your game when you are uh, in college and, and uh, coming into this new semester, you want to succeed. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into uh, some of those strategies. Yeah, so I really started free med ed my first semester of med school. I was trying to supplement the material that my students or the other students in the class could use because we didn't always have the best resources just from the school. I went to a small school with very little um, ability to give us certain types of resources that a larger school might have. And I always wanted to create my own content and educational materials, lectures, et cetera. But at the time, I didn't really have sufficient knowledge to go through all that. And there's just a huge learning curve with audio editing and video editing and all that. So I eventually did make an online course for one class in 2018 for medical microbiology, but uh, it was just one section of it and took so many hours. But I kind of consider this a, a blessing and a curse around the end of my third year of med school, I was really struggling a lot with the standardized exams. And I not struggled too much in my past education. So I didn't realize that there was really an issue until I hit this roadblock and it seemed like no matter what I was doing, I just was not able to retain the information like I previously had or like other classmates were. And I was then diagnosed with dyslexia and started to explore other non-traditional ways to learn as well as more evidence-based ways to learn. So that created the podcast, which started the beginning of 2019. And through the Medical Nemonist, I've been really honored to have some really great guests on there. And I kind of chunk it into two different categories. One is the evidence-based study techniques. This is usually based on educational and cognitive psychology and where a lot of research currently exists because it's a traditional field of study in you know, liberal arts colleges. And then the other is the memory medical mnemonics and other mnemonic techniques that memory champions and athletes use, but it hasn't really made it into the evidence-based. And so we kind of have the, the theory in evidence-based, but also it's been used in practice, but then we have practice through memory champion techniques, but we don't really have as much theory behind that. So I'm kind of combining these two really great study techniques and skills just to add more tools to a student's tool chest. Wow, that's a, that's a great introduction. And uh, I think it kind of jives well with uh, some of the, the background that you know I had in terms of getting into uh, um, cognition and, and executive functioning skills. And uh, we talked a little bit about that, uh, you know, ahead of time. Um, so I'm glad to have this conversation because I, I, I'm always interested to know more a little uh, from like, you know, sort of the, the other fields. Uh, so the, the stuff that we worked through was, was based on, you know, research done on like primarily with people with schizophrenia and how they learn and how they may need uh, cognitive remediation uh, to compensate for deficits in things like, you know, memorization and being able to, to plan ahead and, and sequence things. So I think this will be cool. Um, so it's also interesting too, you know, in screening people to come on the show, uh, it's part of your story because you, you made it through. And a lot of times uh, I, I get a, a fair number of people that, that, 
asked to come on the show to talk about, you know, some book that they just wrote or, or something similar. Um, and I'm, I'm always want to kind of know, I'm always a real personal friend, like, Oh, well, you're in recovery because if you are like, that's a big help. And, you know, you were upfront the fact that, you know, you're not in recovery from mental illness, but I, I do appreciate you kind of talking about, um, you know, having dyslexia and how that may have, um, driven you know some of the work that you've done and i think it really applies because i think that there's probably a decent amount of overlap um, in uh, mental health disorders as well as learning disorders um so i know that you uh, i watched a youtube video uh where you had given a lecture i think it was like a mensa group and if it's all right, I'm going to uh, link to that in our show notes today so that if people want to know more, uh, I found it really interesting. Um, you talked about uh, several different sections of uh, how you can improve your, your learning and, and your study skills. So I thought we might talk about them in that way and might start with uh, prioritizing and planning. Uh, this is actually my favorite one <laughs> um, because I'm like a real... Um, I'm really into like learning about how people sort of like set up their day and, and their, uh, their workflows and whatnot. And a lot of that I think goes back to prioritizing and planning at the same time though, I think people need this like base level, you know, not everyone needs to be a superstar in that area to, to succeed, but you do need these like base level skills. So what do you want to talk about first, maybe in terms of like the importance of planning and, and, and or prioritizing, and then we'll sort of go from there. Yeah, well, planning and prioritizing obviously is very important in your studies and it's important in life too. It doesn't matter if you use it for your home life, for your study life, for your occupation afterwards or a side gig or something like that. If you don't have some sort of process in place, and this is going to change all the time depending on what material you're trying to tackle, you're not going to be as efficient as you can. And we all have so many things we want to, to do, accomplish, work on, or even just be you know, a little bit quicker at completing this task than that than we were before and prioritizing the material in a particular way is going to just make you more efficient in general so there are a lot of different techniques that can be used and this section that i actually wrote about quite a bit too because <laughs> i know you mentioned the book i do have a book out that's got uh geared towards medical students mostly but a lot of the principles i find are really universal and a lot of the principles that I wrote about in the book and spoke about in the Mensa speech that you mentioned were based on the MBA that I have as well. So for those that don't know, because I didn't really mention it too much before, I have a couple of different degrees. I have a master's in educational psychology, almost a PhD, completed all but dissertation. Uh, I've completed all my work in my MD, except for one more board exam to actually graduate. And I also have an MBA. And I think combining all of these different topics and the different educational resources that I noticed in each of these degrees really made it more pronounced to me that these techniques or skills or tools should be used in other disciplines as well, but they're just not really noticed. They're not, uh, we're not really aware of using them in other areas. So when it comes to prioritization, a lot of skills I came up with were business oriented initially because everyone's talking about uh, hacking your life and, you know, just being more efficient, whether it be personal or in your occupation, in your business. And some of the tasks like the 80-20 rule, also known as the Pareto principle, has gained a lot of popularity 
in more common, uh, more contemporary times, but I still don't see it really implemented in the education setting too much. And the 80-20 rule basically just says that 20% of the material that we're going to receive. So in this instance for students, maybe 20% of your textbook is a material you actually need to know, or that'll make up 80% of what you actually need to know. And there's going to be some gaps in this depending on what you are being tested on, what the actual key points of study will be. But in, if we were to take a textbook, for instance, the 20% that makes up the 80% we actually need to know are often already bolded for you. They're in the subheadings. They're the most important key points of studying. And if we notice that going in, then we can kind of mentally or written out, organize this material in a way that will help our long-term retention of it later on. So just being aware of that principle and sometimes needing to cut down a lot of the extraneous information can make us a little bit more efficient, a little more focused, getting the key points, the foundational points down first. And then we can always elaborate on this material a little bit later. So the 80-20 rule is probably much more known than some of the other principles. Um, one of the other ones that I really like is the Stephen Covey's management grid. So if anyone has read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey is the author of that. And he made this grid, this quadrant system that basically divides up all of our daily activities. And you can have a different one for your schoolwork, for your personal life, for anything else, but it divides it up into quadrants in this way. It says that on one side of the quadrant, let's say the columns, you're going to have what's important and then what's not important as the two columns. And then the rows will be what is immediately important and what's not immediate or what's due immediately and what's not necessary to tackle right now, the not immediate stuff. And when we use a simple grid, then we notice the stuff in quadrant A is going to be important and immediate. And then quadrant B would be important, but not immediate. We don't need to tackle it right now. And just by organizing all of our to-do lists, for instance, all of the tasks that we need to do or we think we need to do right now, we can become more efficient by tackling the biggest, most important things first. And then the things down in quadrant D are like the not important and not immediately relevant. And that's often searching social media or uh, replying to a text that just came in or something like that, that act as distractors and really prevent us from being more efficient in our studies. So those are a couple of tools that I think are, are very important that anyone can use. The principles seem to be pretty universal and it just makes you, you know, a little bit more efficient, a little bit better equipped to tackle a project or to know which one you should tackle next. Because when you see everything thrown at you at once, or you have this large to-do list or however you're keeping track of all your tasks, it can be overwhelming. So by just whittling around one bit at a time and knowing which one's most important to tackle now can really help guide and focus you when you're going through the process. Yeah, I um, Those are two of my favorites, actually. And uh, so, yeah, I learned it as importance and urgency. Yes. And uh, yeah, the same quadrant. And I'll include uh, uh, in the show notes just a, a just a simple PDF to kind of under so you can understand what we're talking about if it's a little bit abstract as we're describing it. But um, yeah, I mean, and the fact is, like those things that are really important but not very urgent. 
tend to be the really high quality things I find, like the things that you want to be voting or at least like scheduling yourself to tackle more because I feel like they always end up on the back burner for these other things that are either more pressing or even the distractors like you talked about because they're more fun. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, that's a great one. And we used to teach that in the, in the cognitive remediation intervention that I did uh, as part of the study that got me into this whole stuff. And then, you know, you're talking about like, you know, life hacks and whatnot. And I mean, for me, like Tim Ferriss was the first one. I read the four hour work week. And that was the first book I read, like in this whole space. And I was like, ah, oh, this is so cool. And he talks about the Pareto principle. That's where I learned it from. And it, it, I like how it, it extends beyond anything like we're going to talk about today in terms of like studying and schoolwork. Like it really is to me like a very a life principle um, in terms of like 20% of the, the, everything in your life, like is the really high quality stuff that you need to be paying attention to. Uh, so I'm glad to see you bring those up and, and talk about how they relate. Uh, so what is your, how do you like schedule yourself? Like I know you had sent me like a, um, like you keep your calendar online. And I don't know if like students, if that would be helpful for students or not, but I'm just kind of interested to know what your system is for like keeping track and and like setting up your day. I definitely use the online calendar for meetings, for personal interactions more so. I don't think, for me anyway, it takes too much time to add in every task there and I often move things around. So I really just either use a spreadsheet, something that I can keep with me and change really quickly, or make a table in a Word document. And then I can copy and paste things. So maybe I had this scheduled today, but something else came up. So now I'm going to move this over to tomorrow because it's one of those, you know, it's important, but it's not urgent. So I don't really need to do it right now. So I can just copy and paste that into the box for tomorrow. And a simple to-do list through a Google document, low-tech, free, and from my experience anyway, it's much more versatile than all of the to-do applications out there. I've used them. They have a pro and con to every different software app, but I find the Word documents the easiest and then I can add hyperlinks to it. I can add other notes below the table or above the table. I can section it off things I want to do for you know, this day, this week, this month, this quarter, this year. I can have a bunch of different tables going on. So I think just the plain old, you know, weekly calendar kind of thing is very useful if you have a lot of different tasks you need to organize and you can see everything that way visualize it very clearly which helps you then say okay this needs to go in front of this one Um, if you're struggling with determining which one needs to go in front of the other one then you go back to something like the time management grid and there's other ways to do this some people say you know mark A for the top thing you need to get done, B for the second thing. If there's two that combine, you can have C1 and C2. They're of equal importance, but at least you know they're of equal importance that way. However you organize and prioritize that material, and then you can translate that into your schedule to make sure you're trying to keep up with things. And hopefully you don't get too many things in the the important and urgent section because that I call the crisis zone. That's like when you've procrastinated a big project for too long and now it's due in the next day or two and you haven't even started it. So I think like you said, it's really important to focus on the things that are important but not urgent so that they don't get to the important and urgent stage. Yeah, I let that happen to me actually. I was venting <laughs> to my wife this morning because uh, I totally screwed up this this year. Like 
we always start right after Labor Day, uh, our semester, because I'm, I'm teaching mostly. And uh, this year, because Labor Day is so late, we're actually starting tomorrow. And I only found this out like a month ago. I already had vacations planned and everything. And it, it all hit me this morning when I just looked at my like work and I was like, I have to develop this whole course. And like, I was planning to do it this whole week. And now I'm doing it like, you know, on the fly all semester. <laughs> and it was because, you know, it was just a simple, like, you know, anyone can make a mistake like that. I, I should have looked, but you know, I, I had some precedent <laughs> to, to kind of go off of. And, uh, you know, it bit me in the ass, but this time, like, you know, I'll never for, forget it. And uh, it just put into perspective for me, like the value of, you know, how important it is to be on point with your, your planning and your scheduling. I really harp on it with this, my students. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, the ones that take it to heart or the ones that come in with good habits tend to generally be more successful students. Uh, so one question I had for you, you know, you sound like you mainly use, um, you know, electronic for like calendar keeping and, and to-do lists. I wonder if you had any opinion or if you, in your reading and studying or research has come across anything on, cause I see a lot in the news on like the value of paper, you know, using paper and pen versus writing online. And I myself have, have gravitated back. I was on Outlook for years with my, you know, my calendar. And now I'm back to just having a regular paper calendar. I use a paper to-do list and a paper journal. Um, and that just works for me. And the biggest way, the biggest reason is something you said is visual, visualization. Like I just, there's just something about being able to take out a piece of paper and look at it a week at a time or a month at a time that I just, I've never been able to duplicate online. So I wonder if you had any thoughts on people using paper versus electronic um, uh, at all, you know? When, I guess we can break this up into two different sections. One would be when you're writing out your to-do list, when you're organizing your thoughts, when you're prioritizing your material. And the other would be when you're studying. So yes. when it comes to the actual organization of the material for keeping on track, for prioritizing material, I am not too familiar with any research that says one is better than the other. I think it really probably comes down to what you're actually using it for and what your day-to-day -day routine is. So for instance, for me, I'm at my computer a lot. So it makes sense to have something digital here. I keep the Google Doc open all the time and then I can just scroll over to that and change it as necessary. And I do have a whiteboard that I add the big things do every day so that I can visualize that all the time and I can make adjustments to that. So I kind of use both as far as using just scrap paper or something like that, that can be very good for some people, especially if you're very mobile, if you're driving around all the time. But I also worry about it because I can use my dad as an example here. He always writes down things on a scrap piece of paper that he has to do that day, but then he either loses the paper or he doesn't transfer it over to the next day's task or some somewhere there the tasks can get lost. So if you are going to write it down, I would definitely suggest having a journal or a scheduler. A lot of schools will give you a scheduler that you can use, something like that, so that you don't end up losing past activities that you didn't get around to finishing right now. So at least that way, you're still able to visualize it, but you don't risk some of the negative aspects of having a more analog system in place. When yeah. 
I'm, I'm, you're going to get to studying, studying, okay. and I just want to stop you one second. And I would definitely agree with that. Like, I just kind of wanted to bring that home is like one thing, like you can't have like two calendars if you're going to go the paper route or anything like, or do the scrap of paper routine. Like, oh, I wrote this because I was at the dentist and I have this appointment and then it gets lost before it makes it into your calendar. If you go the, the paper route, I, I definitely have found that you need a system for like getting all that stuff from you know either bringing your paper calendar with you or like just being really um, mindful to keep one you know everything in one place. Um, but yeah, I'm interested to hear what you think about with studying and uh, and writing. Sure, I definitely see in certain aspects of the research that writing your handwritten notes is much better than typing them out, for instance, um, to a degree. And the caveat here is when you are typing up notes, for instance, you're in a class, you're listening to a lecture, you're typing up everything. Most of us can type relatively fast. We can almost type the entire transcript, more or less. And that doesn't require us to think about the material. We're just mimicking what's being said, which is problematic because if we're not thinking about the material, we're not synthesizing the material, we're not translating it in a way that we understand based on our prior knowledge and our prior experiences. So it's a very passive learning technique. And that's something I discuss all the time in my materials is passive versus active learning. If you do passive learning, you might feel like you're getting a lot done, but you're not actually able to understand it. Or at the very least, you're not able to retain that information for a very long time. So the benefit there is when you're writing, you're handwriting your notes, you do have to synthesize all the information being thrown at you. You can't write as fast as someone can speak. You have to condense it. You have to make it make sense and then put it down to paper. And you can color code it and you can do other things that help to chunk materials together to organize it better, which can also improve the efficiency of your, you know, your synthesis of it and putting it into long-term memory. And that would be step one of kind of using the note-taking system, more or less, being more active in it then. And then you'd want to take it further, uh, adding more active styles later on, such as note cards or visual mnemonics or something like that, so that you can recall the information multiple times, because one time is just not enough. The Something we cover a lot in the podcast is the forgetting curve. And depending on the study you're looking at, Ebbinghaus was a scientist that discovered the forgetting curve by making up just nonsense syllables and sounds and seeing how long he could remember them. And it, it kind of all falls off in like three days if you don't recall the information at a later point. So that means you either close your eyes and recount all of the information, or sometimes a flashcard can be used this way. Uh, different ways of rehearsing the information, of bringing it back to memory, of actively recalling it will strengthen the long-term memory. So we want to make sure that whatever we're doing from the note-taking to after we have the notes done, we implement more long-term, more active strategies so that we remember the material later on. Yeah. So I'm glad to hear you say that because I find like when I handwrite notes, it's just so much more like easier to recall later. And I see so many students when we were having in-person classes, just with their behind their laptops, you know, taking notes on their laptops or, you know, you know, it happens, right. Getting distracted by whatever could be on your laptop instead of your notes. Yep. Um, whereas <laughs> when you have paper, just, you know, pad a paper in front of you, it's, it's a lot harder to get distracted. I find. 
So, Definitely. Yeah. So, okay. So that's one active strategy, right? Is, is taking notes on paper, synthesizing that content because you have to condense it. You don't write as fast as the, the lecturer will speak. Now, I, there are a few things you brought up in your lecture I wanted to pick your brain on. One was um, I had always thought it was a good idea to reread your notes after, and uh, you seem to have a different opinion. Uh, and the other was, and I agree with you on this one, is like the, the, the lack of value you, you would find in doing something like when you're reading a, cha a chapter in a textbook, highlighting the important things uh, versus, say, taking notes on a piece of paper next to the textbook as you're reading. So I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about those things, what you think. Definitely. And I am blanking on the organization that did this research at the moment. I think it was discussed in episode seven of the Medical Nemonist. And for that episode, I had a great guest, Dr. Megan Samaraki. They also have a podcast called the Learning Scientists Podcast, where they take the evidence from cognitive psychology and explain it to us. And that was one of the early things that we discussed because the research really showed that rereading your notes rereading chapters in a book, all of these are considered passive learning. You're not learning anything new when you go over the same material again. You feel like you do because you recognize it and you trick yourself into thinking, oh, I must know this material then. But then that's not how you're tested. When you're tested, you don't have your notes with you. You need to be able to synthesize this information to recall it mentally without any primer, without your notes, without a textbook. So that's why when you initially create the note, it can be useful to do handwritten, yes, because you're active at that stage. But then it transitions into a passive learning style when you use it to reread things later on. So at that point, one thing I always recommend to students is to, again, translate that information into some sort of active recall. And this can be done in flashcards or mnemonics or several other ways. Sometimes it's just easy to talk to a, a classmate, talk to a significant other, talk to your dog, your plant. It doesn't really matter because by actively trying to recall the information and explain it, then you can also find out which areas you have knowledge gaps and utilize that knowledge to focus your future studies. So that's why when we discuss the research that's been done, those types of passive learning of rereading your notes and such just don't add any benefit because it's, again, it's an active recall or it's a passive learning method that doesn't activate any new neurons. It doesn't activate you actually figuring out which bits of information you know and you don't know. Yeah. It's, a, it's such an important thing because I think students have just been lulled into this, you know, like, oh, I should read the textbook now or I'm going to highlight because everybody else is highlighting and not stopping to think about this passive, passive versus active perspective. And, you know, if you're going to put in the time, you might as well be efficient about it, right? Um, so I, I love the idea of transferring things to flashcards. I would always teach it when I was doing uh, the research study in CogREM. And it, it was always, you know, I was always met with, I think a little bit of like, oh, like flashcards, <laughs> you know, I did this when I was in junior high or, you know, they, they had me doing it then. And, and I think this is almost like a, a stigma behind it in some ways. It's just like my own anecdotal, you know, from, from teaching to students. But when I can get them past that, they find the value that you're talking about. 
and I saw it because, you know, it's exactly the way you describe it. You're reading your notes. You lull yourself into this, like, as you're finishing the sentence, like, okay, yeah, I got this. It's very different when you put that down on a flashcard with the, the correct concept or something on the other side. And now you're sitting there staring at it and the recall just isn't there. Um, so that's a really uh, a great way to kind of... Um, to, like you said, translate it to an active. And the other one we used to teach as well, you mentioned is sort of talking to somebody else. And we would describe it as like, uh, if you were going to do study groups, um, the, the best way or one of the better ways rather than just sitting around all reading on your own or highlighting in your own textbooks would be to take turns teaching each other the concepts that were outlined in the text. And if you could teach it to your, your colleagues, then there's a good chance you were going to be able to recall it on an exam. Exactly. And that's something that I ran into as well, because I don't think I'd used flashcards since maybe English class and like middle school, maybe high school, something along those lines. So when I went through my undergrad, I didn't see that I needed that because I would remember the material well enough for the exam and then probably forget it afterwards because that's what you do in undergrad. But then you get medical school or, you know, something that you want to remember for a longer period of time, you want to synthesize the information better, you realize, crap, I, I'm not that good at this. I can't rely on the same strategies that I used before. These weaker strategies it, are just not going to be sufficient for the quantity of material I need or the quality of detail that I need. And that's when you really start to worry and freak out a little bit because you weren't taught how to study properly. None of us, well, I know I wasn't. And from most of the people that I talked to, they've never covered any, you know, cognitive psychology, how learning how to learn type of material in the past. And everyone's going to hit that obstacle, that roadblock at a different stage in their academic or personal lives. But when you hit it, if you don't have a tool to get past it, it's very frustrating and very stressful. Yeah. I, I used to make the same analogy with like calendaring and planning. Like nobody, you never had to take a class. that was like how to use a calendar or, you, or how to organize your life. It was always, my experience was learning by seeing what your parents did or whoever you sort of were raised by, because that's, you know, how we learn a lot of these things socially. So yeah, I'm glad to see that like you kind of experience the same thing, but then once you got over it, you, you kind of see the power of something like flashcards and you like start to think about okay, now I see why it works and why these weaker strategies, like you had said, may have gotten you through, you know, high school, whatever, but now you're in college and now the concepts are much more complex. It's going to take a, 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 more, um, a more active learning strategy to retain it. So here's one last thing I had about study skills because we used to talk a lot about it. I would uh, work with individuals who had uh, mental health diagnoses that would often qualify for accommodations, um, academic accommodations. So there were some common ones that were, that were typically given, you know, things like extended time for exams and whatnot. And if you needed that for whatever, you know, I would advise you, why not, you know, go for it. Um, so one that was particularly, uh, we talked a lot about was, was more for studying was being able to tape record lectures. So this was something that some professors really don't care, even if you don't have an accommodation, some are a bit weird about it. Um, and, but now with Zoom, you know, there's, and you know, anyone could really record a lecture without the professor knowing with a smartphone, even in class, um, you could do screen capturing what software and whatnot. What would be the value 
you know, if you had a transcript of a lecture or a recording of a lecture, because we used to teach as an accommodation, it might be helpful for certain situations. For instance, you have trouble with paying attention for long periods of time. So you can only pay attention for periods of, you know, 10 to 15 minutes, and then you need a break. If you had a recording of the lecture, you can sort of go back and, you know, re-listen to the areas where you knew your, your attention lapsed and, you know, get a better uh, understanding listening to it a second time. Or if you were somebody that struggled to make it to class, um, having somebody record the lecture for you so that, you know, at the very least you weren't missing it. You, if you were, you know, able to discipline yourself to go back and listen to it later. Um, do you have anything that you would suggest or anything that you found helps or anything you can do with uh, recorded lectures or, or transcripts of lectures after the fact? I think that moving more education to distance learning is something we should have done a long time ago. And I know people will push back at that, especially right now with COVID going on and so many students and schools struggling with the transition to distance education. That's not a fair comparison though, because they weren't set up to do it properly. So their experiences right now are not going to be at you know, their maximum. But when you have pre-recorded lectures or transcripts or any form of asynchronous learning, it can be extremely beneficial for some of the things that you mentioned. Maybe someone is getting distracted. Maybe they're sick a day. Maybe they need to take more breaks than their peers. Whatever the reason is, it doesn't really matter. What we're trying to do is get them to learn better. And personalizing that educational setting is something that can be very beneficial, especially to certain students with you know, dyslexia or ADHD or a host of other concerns, or maybe they're just in a noisy home right now living with a lot of family members that all are stuck at home because of COVID. When the benefit is obviously that we can get materials out there for others to use on their own accord. The one problem with it is again running into the passive learning techniques. So this is something a lot of students do even through medical school. And something I did a lot too is using third-party pre-recorded lectures as the main source of education for certain classes. As not every class is going to be taught by a professor that really connects with your learning style or whatever it might be. And that is great. We have these materials. We can listen to them at, you know, 1.5 times speed, get through it quicker if we want to, or we can pause it, come back to it if we want to. But again, if you're just using the passive learning styles, if you're just listening or watching, then it's not going to cause long-term retention of the material. But with tools that we've discussed or other tools that are mentioned throughout the, the Medical Nemesis podcast, we can turn those passive learning media into active learning styles. We can write notes on the lectures that we're listening to. Then we can translate those notes into useful flashcards that we can then add space repetition to cover again in a day, in three days, in a week, in a couple of weeks, and make sure we're remembering the material long-term. So we can add these active learning strategies to anything we do, including the podcast. A lot of times we're driving around when we're listening to podcasts or maybe exercising or something like that. And you're not going to remember all the details from that audio recording if you're just listening passively while you're really focused on doing something else. But you can utilize other learning strategies to make sure that you're getting the bulk of the important material and then you can add that into more active strategies for recall later on. Yeah, I really like that. I had this, I don't even know who it was, somebody on Twitter and 
was something that they said and it was so profound to me and it was so so simple and kind of dumb that I was just like going by this the whole time but it's it's relatable to the person like we used to teach people like you know you don't have to sit through like if you record a lecture and you're going back through it you know you don't have to sit through the entire lecture <laughs> you know you could skip the parts that you you felt like you had a pretty good handle on or you could skip the parts that you were listening in class and you were paying attention or you could speed it up like you had said and like i think there's this almost like inherent like oh if i'm going to do this i have to see it through like in the same way that i just saw on twitter recently this guy was like you know i i gained so much by figuring out like i don't have to finish every book <laughs> that i read and it's like such a liberating feeling because in my mind that's that was totally me for a long time i was like no i can't start this new book until i finish this one like i needed to get my money's worth or something and like Really, it's all about if, if you get the main idea and you understand what you need to understand of it, sure, move on to the next, right? Like, it was incredibly freeing, and I kind of find it somewhat relatable here, but... <laughs> it's back to the 80-20 rule, yeah. you know? Don't need to cover everything all over again. Just focus on the foundational points or the ones that your instructor are going to test you on later on. Yeah, totally. All right, so let's transition now a little into more like health and wellness stuff. We tackled prioritizing, planning, you know, when we were discussing the Pareto principle and, um, and Stephen Covey, you know, the intel, uh, importance and confidence, no, I'm sorry, that's from Psych Rehab, um, importance and urgency matrix. And then we sort of gravitated or, or transitioned seamlessly, as I like to say, into more like study skill stuff, just recently talking about the value of rereading notes or the lack of, um, and um, more active strategies as opposed to passive. Now, as we talk about health and wellness, I, my first question is about routine and how routine plays a role when it comes to putting yourself in the best position to learn and study. Yes. Well, routine is going to encompass many things in life, right? It's going to encompass not only what we do when we sit down and at what time we sit down at our desk and start studying, especially if we're studying from home. It can be a little more difficult for some people to get motivated to do so or just to initiate that process because they have all the distractions of their home right there within their fingertips. But it's also going to be, you know, your health and wellness, your, your sleep schedules, what you're eating, how you're eating, uh, if you're exercising, what types of exercises and how frequently. It's so many topics that all really work uh, in combination with each other and possibly even synergistically with each other. Um, a comparison I could make for like a medical topic, let's say you have high cholesterol and a lot of people might be aware that you know, LDL, HDL numbers you have total cholesterol. We don't need to get into the specifics of what's what, but let's just say that your cholesterol is 20 points higher than what it should be. Well, you can take a statin medication and that can drop it maybe 10 points, maybe 15 for some. You can quit smoking and that'll drop your cholesterol another three points. You can start eating a Mediterranean dash diet, and that might drop another five or eight points. So if you take all these things in isolation, they don't really seem to cut it. You know, they're not bringing you down to the quote unquote healthy level of cholesterol, but working together, we now get this additive benefit and possibly even a synergistic benefit. I'm not sure if any studies have seen, uh, looked for a synergistic benefit where not only do we have like the 10 plus three plus five or whatever numbers I said, but maybe they add up to like 40 now because they're all working together. We can view our prioritization and initiation of our study techniques in the same kind of manner. 
when we have proper diet, proper health, proper sleep, all of these other aspects of our life coming together to really form a better, healthier mind, healthier body, then we're going to have more energy. We're going to be more focused. We're going to see additive benefits to our studying, to whatever activity that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. So that's like, you're saying like the good things, right? All work synergistically. And I just think of like all routine encompasses all those like things that you'd rather not have part of your routine, right? Like, you know, waking up and sitting on Twitter for a half an hour before like getting out of bed, it may not be the best, you know, part of your routine or something you, you know, get a lot of benefit from. Um, so yeah, it is kind of good to be mindful of like, you know, routines are a lot of people think about like the positive, healthy routines, you know, I get up at the same time or I get a certain amount of sleep. Um, but it's also, I think equally like avoiding the, the time sucks if that's your problem or just the, you know, the, 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 the poor decisions that lead to habits and routines. Um, so let's take the person that's like work learning at home right now or you know taking zoom classes they probably if they were doing uh, in-person classes in the past had a routine for that right they would you know get up for a certain amount of time before class and you know they would do these certain things either before class or after class sometimes their routine of a college student is more later in the day and in the evening than in the morning that's fine um it's being cognizant of what your what your you know i think part of it is like your natural energy, right? And like when you find you work best and most productive, um, but it's also sort of knowing the things to kind of avoid. Um, so is there anything di- that we should do differently or what should be our approach be if we're not, if we're looking for a different routine now, like we used to going to class, we're not going to be doing that this semester. We're going to be doing a lot more from home uh, on zoom would you suggest having like a work working at home or a study type of routine? Uh, and if so, would there be anything that you would, that would be part of yours that you may not think of? There are many different ways to basically form new habits is what we're talking about with routines, right? Yeah. yeah. And it can take a long time to develop a habit to significant strength where it just becomes more natural. But we don't necessarily need that. We don't need to wait for months for it to feel more natural. We just need to be really mindful of where we're at now and the cues that set us off. So when it comes to habits, there's a couple of really good books out there. Uh, One of them is The Power of Habits by, was it Charles Duhigg, I believe? Yep. And uh, other Atomic Habits. Uh, I forget the author's name at the moment. Um, those are both very popular. And some of the main takeaways I feel from there is really, like you said, noticing the bad habits as well as the good habits. And you do that by noticing the cue, what sets you off. So what sets you to look up social media on your phone instead of going to sit down at your computer and starting to study? Is it because it's within proximity to you? Is it just a habit that you've developed over the past few months that now it's a bad habit you have to break? If so, how can you break that? Maybe you can set a certain app that blocks you from social media between this hour and that hour or set it away. So it's not next to you on your uh, bed nightstand. So you actually have to get up to get to it. And by then you might want to do something else like start preparing for the day. So by noticing what objectives we have, and then also the things that we're doing instead, so we can kind of say, these are the, the objectives we have or the good habits we want to set. 
and the distractions or the bad habits we want to get rid of, what is setting that off? And how can we combat that? How can we go against that to make sure that we're you know, forming these better habits, that we're becoming more productive and preventing distractions as much as possible? Uh, if there's a couple examples that you can think of off the top of your head, maybe I could think of something for it, but there's just so many out there that distract us. It's hard yeah, to give like an all-encompassing. <laughs> okay. Like I love like environmental modifications, like ideas like this, because this is a lot what we do with people in recovery if they're struggling to make changes, right? The person that forgets to take their their antidepressants, you know, and they 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 want to take it, but you know, it, it might be because of uh, you know some sort of cognitive deficit related to a depression diagnosis. You know, we might do things exactly what you're saying. Um, find an app that might help them. Uh, think about where they're putting their meds, uh, storing them, think about where they're taking them, think about what they do first thing in the morning. Uh, so many ways that you can uh, approach that through environmental modification. Um, I'm thinking a lot about this right now for my son because he's about to start. He's going into third grade and uh, we're doing all virtual learning. Uh, so I'm thinking a lot about how the his routine is going to be look uh, while also balancing what my routine needs to look like. Uh, and so like my stupid example is, is with my son. It's like, you know, sometimes I get annoyed because he leaves his toys all over the place. Right. Um, and I'm pretty like neat and organized and uh, you know, sometimes I'll clean up and whatnot and, and I'll notice I'm like, man, you haven't played with your toys in a long time. And then I start to think to myself, I'm like, wait, if I actually left the toys out, you know, where he, where he put them, you know, it might be annoying to me because it's like, oh, there's these toys everywhere. But you know what? He would actually pick them up and play with them more if they were just sitting out. And I've learned this the hard way. It's like I fight this like resistance for like organization in the name of like, wait, it actually might work better here, even if I don't like the way that sits in my own internal, you know, anxieties that's something i'll work on right um but he's seven <laughs> he doesn't have to work quite work on that yet and the fact that if i leave the legos out all over the dining room table he's going to sit there and play with them more and not sit on you know the computer like i need to think about that and i think we can all like kind of think about this in terms of like maybe it's not like my problem of like being too neat but it's this idea of like how can you use your environment to your advantage how can you leverage the things that you do, you know, I go to every morning, I brush my teeth and that's like a thing that I do and that's a healthy habit. Okay, cool. Like, can we like, we used to talk about, I think it's like chaining them, um, you know, like tying one habit to another because one's already rooted in your routine. And now we want to add this other one that's sort of like it. So we put the medication next to the toothbrush and all of a sudden now, oh, right after I brush my teeth, I take my meds. It's a lot easier to form that habit. Um, so that's like one example. I don't know if you've, if you've thought of any since I've been vamping here. <laughs> well, there are a lot of different things dealing with uh, children, so I'm not going to get into yeah, the nah, specifics nah. there. But th it's the same basic concept as you were discussing. You're basically trying to decrease the boundary for the, hobby, the habit that you want to promote and increase the boundaries for the habit that you're trying to break. So something that I've had to do in the past because I love – television and I watch Netflix all the time is if I am in a study session for a couple of days or a couple of weeks and I really need to focus on that and I need to stop getting distracted by, you know, turning on Netflix, I will unplug my streaming device because 
now it's such a hassle to plug it back in every time that I want to watch television. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm less likely to do it or I'm more likely to only do it when it's a proper time to like after I'm done studying. So that's increasing the boundary for that bad habit, that watching television. And yeah, you can do the same thing in the reverse. You can make it easier to do the things that you want to do for your goals. Make sure it's closer by, that it's easier to access, that you're getting rid of any of the the obstacles in the way to that goal. Yeah. So I, if I sign out of something, that that's a good one for me. Like if I'm like getting tired of social media, I'll just sign out of it because it's like such a hassle for me to like sign back in because I have to figure out what my password is. Um, it's an effective barrier. Um, so yeah, two that work for me, thinking more related to productivity in school, like one is using my desktop, my computer desktop. So I always keep my like things that I, I haven't finished, things that I need to keep on my radar right on my desktop. And it's like, you know, you open up your computer and it's right there, right? Like there's no hiding from the fact that those four things on that desktop shouldn't be there right now. And like my goal is like, I've heard of zero email or zero inbox, I think it is. Um, but mine is like z- clear desktop <laughs> because that <laughs> indicates like I don't have any like pending things that I need to get rid of or documents I need to finish. Very rare that it's clean. Um, but that's always the goal. But it always like the the presence, like the fact that it's it, it, it's visual, it's right there. And the other one is like my, um, some people are crazy about their tabs on their uh, their browsers. Um, but I'm like really obsessive about my bookmark, my that bookmark bar. And like, I use that to my advantage because like, if I put something up there like Facebook, like I'm going to spend so much more time because it's just easier. Oh, bookmark. Oh, look, I'll just click there. And then it's 10 minutes down the rabbit hole, right? But if I just fill that bookmark with only things like, oh, my Canvas site pages where I work, you know, where I have to be grading things and like Google Scholar and um, my Rutgers University library page is on there. Like I, I really don't put any kind of time sinks on there and it just forces me when I'm sitting there like, oh, what should I do now? I tend to click one of those links rather than you know, I would click a Facebook one if it was there, you know, but those are just some like environmental ones that I've found have worked for me in terms of it's like kind of like an out of sight, out of mind with the bad things and also like insight in mind for the things that you want to, you know, keep on your radar. Exactly. And I love doing that to set up like the next day's activities, because if I set it up before going to bed that night, then when I wake up, it's the first thing on my screen or on my desk the next day, and then I can jump right into it. Whereas if I kind of have a general idea of what I want to do the next day, but I don't set up my workstation for the next day, I'm much more likely to get distracted to do something else, to go on social media, to watch television. And you just fall into this bad downward spiral of, of bad habits, getting distracted and, and not being productive. Yeah. I've noticed it with my dissertation. I'm sort of similar. similar. I'm, I'm ABD and I'm, I'm writing it, the proposal right now. And there'll be some days I set myself up the night before, the day before, like, okay, when I wake up this morning, because it's usually the first thing I do when I work on it, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And if I do that, I'm very efficient. But some days I'll just kind of like get a little lazy. I'll be like, I'll work on my dissertation in the morning, but I really won't have any idea of what specific thing I'll do it takes me half of the time that I set up to get myself into the, okay, I should work on this right now. (laughs) And, you know, I've wasted it. Whereas if I just took five minutes the night before, it would, you know, go a long way to, uh, you know, making that time all the more efficient. I think that's kind of, kind of like, I think the summary here, right? Like we're really speaking to the students that 
want to put in the time that know they need to put in the time to learn and to study and just want to know the best way to do it. Right. There's no magic pill that we could say is like, just going to give you the information. Like you have to put in the time. And I think what, what we've found today talking through this is like the, the things that you decide to do with that time go so far to determine how much you're actually going to get out of it in terms of being efficient learning the material you're going to learn 10 percent of it or you're going to learn you know 70 percent of it and just this this decision of like okay i'm going to hand write my notes versus use a computer you know they they add up and they snowball and like you said i think there's probably a good a good belief in the idea that when you put a bunch of these together you get the sum greater than the parts Definitely. And like I said at the beginning, these are just tools to add to your toolbox. You can use the wrong tool. It's just going to be so much harder. You don't want to hit in a nail with a can of food. <laughs> use a hammer. You know, you can get it done, but it's not going to be the most efficient use of your time. Yep. And there's some people that are going to go to the hammer a lot. And then there's others that are going to be like, okay, it's nice to have, but actually I really use the screwdriver, you know, and it's a lot of it is like, you know, just figuring out and trying what works and what doesn't. There's no, you know, it's not easy in the beginning to figure that out, but um, like just having the mindset of like, you know, thinking about or thinking about thinking like a very meta type of episode, this has become, you know, studying about how to study. Uh, it can pay off in so many, you know, tenfold or whatever, you know, because of the, the time you put in to kind of think about these strategies. So hopefully some, uh, some new ones, maybe people haven't thought about today. Uh, really want to thank you for, for coming on and talking about this stuff. It's stuff that I love to talk about. I think I've gotten away from in recent you know, couple of last couple of years with episodes and I'm, I'm glad to come back to it because uh, it's, I think it could be so helpful for students. I definitely agree. And I appreciate you having me on the show. Yeah. Why don't you tell a little bit about yourself in terms of uh, where you could be found online or if you want to plug your book, I uh, definitely want to give you the opportunity to kind of uh, find out, uh, give info, info on where people can find more about you. Luckily, everything I do at this point in time anyway can still be found at freemeded.org. So it's for free medical education was the purpose of creating the site and .org. A lot of people confuse it with .com, obviously, but the podcast, there are links there. The book, there's a link there. There's also a free PDF there um, for the book. So it's essentials guide. It's about 10, 15 pages of a couple of the tools and charts that we've discussed here. Of course, it's guided more, directed more towards medical students, but I do find that a lot of the information can be useful for others as well. And of course, the Medical Anemonist podcast, which you can find on freemeded.org, is going to have different episodes for different topics. So we can go into much greater detail about some of the tools that we've just done a broad overview of today freemeded.org. Please check it out. Even if you're not a med student, there's a lot of helpful info. Like I said, I'm going to link to a few things in the show notes here. Uh, that Mensa video, I'm going to do uh, something relating to the urgency and importance matrix, as well as those books we mentioned, The Atomic Habits and The Power of Habit, in case people are interested in learning more. Check out the show notes. Show notes. And uh, Chase, thanks again. Really appreciate having you on today. <laughs> thanks for having me, Derek. And we are back, and I hope you all enjoyed that and got something out of it. I uh, I really did. It was 
once again, a, a breath of fresh air, a, a great feeling for me to kind of um, be able to release this in time for the beginning of this fall semester, a semester that I really hope you all get the most you can out of, uh, given the circumstances, you know, let's think about what the podcast means, where it came from, you know, five years ago. It was about helping college students set and achieve goals that matter to them, right? We all have a goal of doing well in college, right? That's why we're here. I want to be the best teacher I can be. I also am still a student. Uh, dissertation is coming along. Uh, still haven't started the actual study, but uh, I'm writing a lot, and uh, I hope to start the study at the beginning of next year is my goal. So, uh, yeah, that's just a quick update there. Um, and so we all value that, and that's probably all... Uh, that's a goal for all of us to some degree, right? To get a get an A or to pass or to complete the program or do well this semester, whatever your individual goal is related to academia. Uh, I'm with you 110% behind it. But you also have these other goals out there, right? You probably have a goal to make a new friend, uh, to stop smoking, to lose 10 pounds, to start running, to learn how to sew, to play frisbee, to reach out to your long lost relative that you're estranged from and reconnect. Whatever it is, a hobby, an interpersonal goal, a wellness goal, uh, you can work on those while also still attending to your school goals. And that's really what this, this podcast was founded on, is to help people kind of put everything in perspective, right? You're there at school to do a certain job, right? It's probably, you, you might consider it your job to learn, right? But you also have these other things that make you, you, right? That, that they're the, the roles that you value in life, right? Uh, athlete. Um, somebody's girlfriend or boyfriend, parent, child, friends, uh, you name it. Those are the things that I find really make up you know, life and really make recovery from a mental health condition uh, meaningful because you adopt these new social roles, readopt, you know, rediscover or discover for the first time in some ways. So with that, I uh, hope you guys all have a great semester. I make no promises about when I'll be back, but I do have a couple of ideas floating in my mind for episode topics, and that is a big uh, step in the right direction because uh, if, I don't, if I don't have anything that I'm thinking about to, to make an episode about, I, I really feel like it's not moving. But I have two in my mind. Uh, that I'm going to continue to think about and, and maybe develop. So my goal, I guess I'll throw it out here now, try to have uh, two episodes for you this semester at least, maybe develop and flesh out those, or maybe I will get uh, an interview like uh, that came along a chase sort of um, wasn't even looking for it and turned out to be a really great occurrence. So with that, I want to wish you all a wonderful uh, Labor Day weekend. Looks like I'm going to get this out right in time. And uh, hope to see you all back here again. Take care, everyone. Peace.